What's happening, people? Welcome back to the Rotobomb Podcast. Pete Davidson here, as always. Today is Thursday, the 28th of January. Um, and this is just a little uh, little fun podcast. I hadn't, hadn't turned the mic on in a while. I miss you folks. Uh, for those of you who might be wondering, the intro there was uh, a band called Heat Miser. That's uh, Elliot Smith's band uh, before he broke out on his own. Uh, and the song was Low Flying Jets. Always appropriate. Um, so um, what we're going to do today... Um, is uh, just go through some topics that I sort of intentionally uh, threw out there on Twitter yesterday. Some stuff that I, you know, was kicking around in my uh, in my brain, um, and there were some decent responses um, from the people. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna chat on some of that stuff. Um, also, for those of you who have not heard. Um, uh, I've decided to start writing some articles um, for one of my favorite sites, 4 for 4. Um, they were uh, kind enough to approach me and ask me if I was interested. And, um, you know, I have had offers to write at places before. This was just one I really, I, I couldn't pass it up. I'm just a big fan of the site. Um, a lot of my early uh, developmental days in DFS um, were spent reading uh, TJ Hernandez and Chris Raybon. And I, 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 back then, and this is several years back, um, TJ's still there. And it, 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 uh, there, it, 4 for 4 always sort of have a warm place in my heart because I learned a lot of the things um, that I talk about on my own podcast now from them. Um, and uh, again, TJ's still doing really good work uh, on the site. And just 4 for 4 overall, if, if you go through and you look at the people, uh, it's just a really good group of people. A lot of people that I respect, a lot of people that I really like. Uh, that I'm comfortable with, that I get along with. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, you know. thank you very much uh, to Josh Moore and everybody over there uh, for bringing me on. Uh, I hope that uh, uh, your faith in me is, uh, is paid back when I start uh, dropping stuff. Uh, my first article probably coming up within the next week, it's going to be about valuing um, quarterbacks in two QB dynasty leagues. Um, Something I definitely have a strong take on. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how accepted that take is. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And again, I'd like to thank them for putting some faith in me and bringing me on. And um, I'm really excited about uh, the dynasty stuff that I'm going to do for them. Uh, it, one important thing to say on this podcast: uh, I'm not closing Rotobond down or anything like that. I'm just making some new friends, really. Uh, so there's still going to be content on this site. This podcast continues unabated. Um, it's just one more thing we're going to be doing. So, um, one more time, thanks to the folks of 444, really lucky, um, to be a part of what you guys are doing and, um, you know, flattered that you, uh, that you brought me on. So, um, what we're going to talk about today, um, again, just a couple topics I threw out there yesterday, and I'm going to get into this article that I participated, um, at 444, my first uh, foray uh, into providing, uh, you know, my takes. Uh, they did a, a Dynasty Roundtable article, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, that's been tweeted out on my feed if anybody's looking for it. Um, so the first topic I started yesterday was a poll. Um, actually, I don't know if this is first, but it's the first one we're going to talk about. Um, and it, it, it's, it, the irony is that I don't have any shares of Kirk Cousins in Dynasty, and I don't have any shares of Sam Darnold in Dynasty. Um, I just saw a couple people talking about them in a, in a tweet, and it just sort of occurred to me. I'm like, wow, that would be an interesting trade to consider. Um, and the way I put this thing out there, some of you may have already voted in this thing. Um, it'll be closed by the time this thing um you know, by the time this podcast posts. Uh, but basically, I'll just, I'll read the poll. Um, the poll is, you are offered, and if you're listening to this on rotobond.com, I, I put this stuff right 
um, right in the body of the uh, article. So you can listen and also uh, check out these, uh, these posts on Twitter. Um, so th the question is, you are offered Sam Darnold for your Kirk Cousins in a 12-team Superflex Dynasty League. What do you do? Now, for those of you who know me well you probably know that it was a little difficult for me <laughs> to like put the question out there with no qualifiers. You know, you're a good team. You're a bad team. You're in a championship window. You know, Cousins is your QB3. Cousins is your QB1. Obviously, all these things and a whole lot of other things could come into play here in terms of whether you would want to entertain this type of trade from either side, right? Um, so this, is, this was presented in a vacuum. It's really about how you value these two players and, and how you value players overall, um, you know, in, in fantasy and in this case in 12-team Superflex Dynasty. Um, now, the poll at this point, 431 votes cast at the time I'm recording this. Again, you know, might a, a, couple, a couple more votes may sneak in before this thing closes, but I think these numbers are going to hold up pretty well. Um, so, the consensus of everybody who voted, and again, a lot of people, 431, 45.2 um, for go after Darnold, 54.8 for, for holding on to Kirk Cousins. Um, and again, you know, say that you are in a win-now window, um, you have a really strong overall team, um, and you've got Cousins as your locked-in QB1, um, and, you know, your QB2 is a little less exciting. We don't have to get into who he is, but you don't want to necessarily make that trade for a team like that because there's just too much of an unknown factor with Darnold right now, okay? So I can understand some people being like, this just doesn't fit where I'm at right now. Okay, that's fine. Um, but the reason I wanted to throw this out there, and look, longtime Rotobond listeners already know where I'm going, I because I, <laughs> you guys know me. But for me, uh, and I love the way this poll came out because... You know, the one thing I, I <laughs> the one thing I'm thinking when I look at the results of this is, man, I wish I had some Kirk Cousins lying around so I could go get me some Sam Darnold. Because um, that's where I that's where I sit on this. First of all, I think Sam Darnold is more talented than Kirk Cousins. So we start there. I think Darnold is better. Um, and I think he's significantly better. Now, will he end up becoming as good as Cousins has been? You know, statistically, from a fantasy perspective, Cousins has had some pretty good moments. Uh, I think he will eventually. Um, but the reason that, you know, I'm a big fan of this type of trade, um, in, in all formats, but particularly in Superflex, where getting a good young quarterback is such a powerful thing, um, you know, for your, for your, your team's balance sheet, whatever you want to say, you know, for me, this is just a no-brainer. I would, if I got this offer, if I'm sitting there, and again, generic, this is just about these, um, you know, we're, we're putting this in a vacuum, okay? But if I, you know, if I've got Kirk Cousins on my roster, and someone calls up and says, "Hey, um, you know, any interest in Darnold for Cousins?" or you know, if that offer comes across my table, I'm just hitting accept. I'm not. I mean, I'll go to Roto World. I'll make sure Sam Darnold didn't get in a car accident or legal trouble or something like that. I'll do. I'll do maybe a minute of cursory uh, searching to make sure I'm not getting punked. But my inclination and my action is to take that deal, take it quickly before the guy changes his mind. Um, that's that's where I'm at on this, Be, and the reasons, you know, let's let's get into the reasons, um, and this is all sort of off the top of my head. I, I didn't write all this out, but while I actually like Kirk Cousins, and if you're a longtime Rotobon reader, we've been a Kirk Cousins supporter here. We think he's, you know, particularly, um, 
you know, for fantasy purposes, you know, he's a guy who can provide statistics. You know, if he wasn't in a, you know, if Mike Zimmer wasn't the head coach there, uh, I think Kirk Cousins over the last couple of years, you know, really could have done some things. But obviously, they have a tendency to shut the passing game down unless they need it. That's, you know, how much that's going to continue to be a factor, you know, as Kubiak becomes maybe a bigger factor, I don't know. But, um, Cousins has some nice seasonal floor, but he's always got that potential issue of having a low pass attempt game because of Zimmer. But that that's not really the reason. The, the basic thing here is Cousins is a guy, I, I know who he is at this point. I don't think Kirk Cousins is suddenly going to accelerate into another level of performance. Um, you know, you know, there's some excitement about having a guy like Justin Jefferson, who I absolutely love. You guys know that. Um, on the scene, but in reality, it doesn't change the paradigm that Cousins been under for the last several years. Because he's, you know, Thielen, Diggs, Thielen, Jefferson. I mean, that's in the same ballpark, right? Um, I mean, Diggs is a special player. Jefferson's a special player. Um, you know, so for me, Cousins platform, paradigm, whatever you want to call it, it's not changing significantly this year. He's getting older. Eventually, we may start to see age affecting his play. He's not a player who's got such a big physical edge, you know, um, and he's not a huge guy physically. I mean, he's big enough to play the position, but Cousins is the guy, where I'm going with this, is that he's the kind of guy where if you see a slip in his physical ability, you know, you're going to probably feel that in his statistics. So, you know... Cousins certainly is still on top of his game right now, but, you know, we don't know how many years he has left. Moreover, um, you never know when, you know, the Vikings may decide once, you know, every year he plays there, he gets a little more cuttable on that contract. We don't know when they might decide to make a move. I mean, this year, they're a great quarterback class. So while Darnold has some uncertainty for 2021, you know, I think on a lower level, Cousins has some uncertainty too. Um, But basically, look, this guy is what, like 32 years old, he's going to be what, 33 by the start of the season, Darnold's 23, I think he's going to be 24 at the start of the season, Um, you know, we've got nearly a decade of separation here, moreover, within that decade, you know, we're talking about a guy who is past his physical prime, and a guy who hasn't actually entered his physical prime, so unless I'm in a league where I think the league's dying, like this year or something like that, you know, or I, or I don't have any confidence that I'm going to get a long-term payoff from Darnold. Um, to me, uh, you know, just from a dynasty theory perspective, whatever, I'm going to, and again, my personal ranking of Darnold is huge here. If, if you have evaluated Sam Darnold and you don't think he's any good, then you obviously keep, you know, the, the bird in the hand, Kirk Cousins. And, and that's fine if that's your you know, individual analysis. My analysis of Darnold is that he's very talented. I've always been a fan of the talent. I think he's got a very, you know, I, I think his his reputation has been damaged, but not so much to his own doing. Now, granted, I'm a Jet fan. I see this stuff up close. So I know what the effect of the Jet organization can be on an individual. The fact that he's in flux and that he may be leaving the Jets you know, that's not a knock on Darnold's future value. Heck, it could be the key to him paying off. I mean, leaving the Jets, not a bad career move, folks, right? Not to mention this guy's been under the thumb of, you know, Adam freaking Gase for the last couple of years. We've seen, we've seen the, you know, 
what happens when you free players from Adam Gase? They start performing. So, you know, the fact that Darnold may not be the Jet quarterback of the future does not bother me, okay? I Again, I believe in the talent. I believe that the Jets, if they move him, will move him into a starting situation. I think that's the likely thing that's going to happen. And again, I'm a believer in Sam Darnold's talent. This is a kid who is, A, very young, okay? Uh, again, this is a guy who's already been in the league for for three seasons, Sam Darnold has got 38 NFL starts under his belt, and he's going to be 24 for the for the 21 season. I mean, th- think about that. I mean, this is I don't want to brush past this too quickly because this is pretty compelling if you think about it. Quarterback experience is a huge factor in quarterback performance. Getting under the hood, getting those reps. You know, you can't. There's no. There's no at least as far as we know. I mean, some teams are probably working on it, or maybe some teams have created it, but there's no real flight simulator for playing NFL quarterback. You need actual reps. You need practice reps. You need game reps, okay? So, you know, just, you know, for, for the Jets, you know, you're looking at one of these younger quarterbacks, you know, you know whether, whether it be, you know, a, a guy like, Justin Fields or a guy like Zach Wilson. Now, I I really like both of these quarterbacks. Um, if one of them ends up being the Jet quarterback, it's not going to bum me out necessarily. Um, it may end up being a really good thing, uh, you know. But again, you know, Justin Fields. Um, as much as I like him, you're talking about a guy who's got 618 pass attempts. You know, 22 starts. Uh, he's going to be 22 years old at the start of the season. Zach Wilson, only 56, um, uh, 566 pass attempts, uh, 28 starts. He's also going to be 22 in the season starts. I mean, now if you're the Jets and you've got Sam Darnold and you've gotten rid of Gase, so maybe you can you can get Sam Darnold really up going optimally. You know, again, Darnold's had 38 NFL starts. He's only going to be 24 when the season starts. He's got NFL passing attempts. He's got 1,219 of them. So he's got almost as many NFL attempts um, as the, well, heck, he's got more NFL attempts than these guys have college attempts combined. Now we throw in Darnold's, what, 27 career starts in college plus his 846 attempts. So Darnold is a much more, much more experienced quarterback compared to these young guys. But again, he is one of these young guys. So, you know... the Jets have paid some dues to get Sam Darnold some significant NFL experience. It, it seems to me they're on the verge of all that pain they've taken with the young quarterback. They're about to give the benefit to somebody else. Um, so, you know, to me, I think the Jets have to at least consider keeping Darnold, having that two pick is a way to continue to build around him. The Jets have all these extra picks from Seattle. They've got cap space. Um, You know, to me, getting like a second rounder for Darnold and then using the elite pick on another quarterback, I think you have to at least consider doing the opposite. Um, Okay, spent more time on Darnold and Cousins than I wanted to. But again, just to sort of put a bow on this, you know, I think Darnold is a pretty big-time talent. I really do. I think his career is going to be long. Um, I, I think it's going to be a good career. He's, you know, he's shown to be able to handle New York. Um, you know, I think he's a kid who can handle pressure. Uh, and eventually, whether it's with the Jets or somewhere else, I think he's going to settle in and have a real nice, you know, ten-year run as an NFL quarterback. Um, and for me to pass up a chance at that in a super flex league, the, the upside of having a guy hit at a young age and you know knowing that this guy barring injury is going to be there on your team for a long time 
there's just a huge benefit to that. Um, so I'm more than willing to give up a guy who I do project to be productive this year and probably next, um, you know, and maybe take a step back, but to maybe take a big step forward, not just in terms of points in my lineup, but my ability to maybe leverage other trades. I mean, if Sam, if Darnold has a big year next year, I can trade him for the sun, moon, and stars. You know, if Cousins has a great year next year, he's still going to be one year older, and he's still going to be Kirk Cousins. Okay. I could go on. I, we could do an hour on this thing, but I'm just going to move on because we got a couple other things we want to talk about here. Um, uh, I threw up a tweet yesterday. I mean, I just did a little basic, uh, you know, little math on uh, on a post-it, uh, and then I said, you know, this is worth putting out there. But you know, because I've heard some people talking about, you know, um, Kevin Cole, who I just have all the respect in the world for, you know, sort of throwing a little a little cold water on the idea that Stafford is going to be you know, significantly better um, at his next stop or that he's really going to be, you know, a big-time guy. You know, I think his, his basic argument was that, you know, why would you go out and pay a mint for Matt Stafford if you're an NFL team? And, you know, hey, we can all argue on what he's worth in terms of real NFL compensation. But for me, when I look at Matt Stafford, I see a guy with a boatload of talent. I mean, Matt Stafford's not a typical NFL quarterback in terms of talent. He's got significantly more arm talent, in my opinion, than your average NFL quarterback. He's also a, a, a pretty strong guy. He's more than willing to play, pay through pain. Easy for me to say, play through pain. Uh, and I think he's a guy who, you know, clearly. You can tell Stafford wants it. He, I mean, come on. On some level, you have to feel for a guy who's been a Detroit Lion for the bulk of his career. He's still, you know, at the top of his game. He hasn't really started to show age yet. He's probably got a, you know, you know, he's a little younger than Cousins. He's, he's, he's really, I think, in position to have career years if he can get to the right place. But, 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 but here's the point. This is a guy whose offensive coordinators have been Scott Linehan, Joe Lombardi. Jim Bob Cooter, and Daryl Bevel. Um, you know, none of these guys, to me, are in even, like, the middle echelon of NFL coordinators. These are, you know, suboptimal coordinators. I mean, they're not the worst, but they're not good. Um, not in my view. I mean, look, do we know some things about Scott Linehan? Do we want to do we do we want to draft the running backs that might be playing for Scott Linehan on a given year? Yeah, but do I think he helps quarterbacks achieve great success? I I really don't. Um, meanwhile, if Stafford were to relocate to a team like, <laughs> I mean, really any of the anything but like a, a like a relocation like the Texans or something like that. I think we're probably going to end up being pretty excited. I mean, if, he, if Matt Stafford were to go to the 49ers and suddenly he's playing with George Kittle and those two young receivers they've got on the outside and he's got the you know that running game behind him and he's playing behind a good offensive line and he's got you know his offense is being you know drawn up by by Kyle Shanahan. Man, that's a this is you're taking a guy who's been driving Yugos his whole life, you know, and putting him you know behind the wheel of a sports car. It's it would be very exciting, and I think he, he, Stafford could explode to a whole new level. So to me, there's a lot of potential upside uh, if Stafford finds a new gig, particularly a gig that gives him an upgrade an upgrade from the platform. I think he said mediocre platforms his whole career. He's had some talent to throw to. Obviously, when he had Megatron, that was a special. Um, 
player that he had the ability to work with. But let's not forget that when Matt Stafford was throwing to Megatron, that's when a lot of people learned what bracket coverage was. Teams used to put half their damn defense on Megatron because it wasn't like, you know, the, 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 the Lions, right? You know, the quarterback didn't have forever to throw and he didn't have a balanced field. You know, even when teams were bracketing Calvin Johnson, the idea was still get the ball to Calvin Johnson, right? A good team will be able to, you know, use his field tilt to open up all kinds of other stuff. You know, the Lions didn't do that very successfully for the bulk um, of the run. So to me, for Stafford to go and get a clean slate at a place that has talent and has like a real offensive mind... I, you know, I, I think we could see some really good things. Um, and I just think that these offensive coordinators should be taken into account, particularly once we see the new landing spot. If we see an upgrade, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that Stafford um, would have some wind in his sails at that point. Um, let's see here. We still got time. Um, another tweet I threw out yesterday uh, went like this. It said, name one thing in your view that most dynasty players forget to consider when making roster decisions. And I was going to say when making trades, but I threw roster decisions in there because, you know, let's say trades, draft picks, and even, you know, um, some some free agent pickups at times. What's one thing that I think dynasty players tend to forget? And, um, you know, there were a lot of good answers in the thread, so, you know, go go check that out. Um, I just want a couple, I, I want to highlight a couple of the answers that I thought were really good. Um, start off with Peter Howard, a... Uh, a fantasy mind of uh, significant acclaim, Pete points out that you need points to win or that the point is to win. Um, and then um, uh, Kyle at uh, FF Recon um, says winning championships more important than winning trades. So they're both making a similar point here, and I think it's a good one. It's not the point that I intended to make, but it's a good point, which is that you know, don't forget about team building when making trades. Um, you know, always, you know, think about the final product. That's the most important thing. Um, I know a lot of people who are just like, talk about trades they want. It's like, well, what does your team look like? That's always the most important thing. Um, another uh, person who made a good comment was a friend of the program, Leo Pasiga. Um, the most predictable response to, on this thread, I do believe. Uh, Leo, famous for his notebooks and his scribblings, uh, he says, you know, basically don't forget the tendencies of your league mates, um, and then hashtag brand. Uh, so yeah, Leo is famous for keeping a, um, a notebook on every single league that he plays in, writing down the tendencies of the people who he's playing against, uh, notes about past trade discussions, trades that he's seen them make, maybe even in other leagues. And Leo basically profiles his competition, like a guy who works for the for the FBI or something. He's really good at it. Leo's one of the best dynasty players I've ever come across in my life. Uh, so he's definitely someone I would listen to. Um, so definitely a good answer from Leo. Um, and then the people who sort of got to the heart of it um, at least from the angle that I was sort of approaching this from. Uh, Aaron Schill, smart dude, uh, always win now, says Aaron. Too many Twitter leagues fold after a year or two. Just reality. Hey, he's right. Um, Chris Powers, on the same line, winning this year is a good idea too. Uh, and then Jamie Sayer follows up with, yeah, typically the sweet spot is aiming for this year with consideration for next year. We could all be dead in two years. Leagues dissolve. Aim to win now. You know, I don't always necessarily share that stance. Uh, you know, my answer to this question was going to be basically always consider this, you know, the state, the status, the condition, whatever you want to call it, of the league you're in. 
you know, I basically profile my leagues now. You know, does, does everybody in this league seem excited? Does the commissioner seem stable? Um, is there anything going on with the collective roster situations that would lead to, you know, an exodus by multiple owners that could put the league in jeopardy? I, I want to think about these things in a league. What, you know, where are we in the life cycle of a league? If a league is seven years old and, you know, it's had some, you know, it's having more turnover each year. I'm not going to put a five-year plan together for how I want to do a rebuild. I'm going to think about doing it more quickly, okay? So I just think it's one thing that people tend to not think about enough is where is the league, the given league that we're talking about, where is it in its life cycle? You know, and if, you know, and, it, you know, this is something that I'm a little bit more in tune with because I've seen some of my leagues die. COVID took out a couple of my really good rosters last year, tier, tier. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's something that some smart people told me when I started, when they looked at my approach to Dynasty, which was go young. And, and look, I, it, it, it fits my skill set to do that. So, you know, for me, I'm in the position where, you know, because my primary focus is scouting and grading rookies, I like building with what I know, um, but even though that has been, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't flopped in a dynasty league yet. I haven't had my plan not work yet. You know, I've done about 10 leagues, um, but I have had a couple of my teams where I started out with youth take some time. Year one didn't go so good. You know, just a couple injuries will take you out when you've got a really young team. And that's the way a couple of my leagues started out. Now, I am currently in the place where all of those young start teams are coming back. I put championships away in a lot of my leagues, and I'm right on the cusp in some others. So my plan has worked, but even in that vain. It's fair to say that a couple of my teams, yeah, they ended up good, and maybe they did hang a championship banner before the league folded, but I did give away a couple years to do it. Um, and I, you know, I am more and more open to the idea of just trying to compete right from the drop. And I, I just think it's something that people, even if you don't want to play it that way, I think it's something you have to consider. At least understand that you are making a choice here and that you're giving up some opportunity cost by doing a long-term build. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm more than willing to do that myself, but I'm going to be more likely to do it in a league where either like, A, I'm the commissioner, so I know that the league is going to be like sort of existing on my terms, or I trust the commissioner. Like when I joined my, Mike Taglier's league, you know, five or six years ago, whatever the heck it was, um, I, di I took a very long-term approach because I knew, hey, Tags is running this thing. This thing's not going to die on me in year three. And guess what? I hung a banner in year three and in year four, so it worked out. But if that league had folded on me, and by the way, the league almost folded last year. Britt Devine sort of saved it because I'm still in my window. And I'm like, oh, man. But, you know, I've, I've now experienced this now. I've seen what it's like. I've felt what it's like to have the best team in a league or one of the top, you know, a, a team that's clearly in the top two or three in a league and have the league die. That's a very frustrating thing. Right when you're, you know, th that cake that you put in the oven is, is about, you know, is, is becomes edible. League dies. So I really do think that a, a smart dynasty GM, before he makes any trade, before he makes any draft pick, before he decides how to proceed during an offseason with his, you know, the assets that he, she has at hand, 
you really do want to look at the status of the league itself. I think it's one of the things people tend to forget, and I think it's something good to sort of just just keep it present in your mind. Okay, the last thing we're going to look at um, is the uh, roundtable article um, on four for four. I'm just going to sort of uh, get into my answers and um, you know my thought process uh, behind them, and then we'll get out of here. So the first question was. There's been some chatter from the Dynasty community on Twitter that Trevor Lawrence could possibly be a first-round draft pick in startup Superflex drafts. Do you think he's worthy of being selected in the first round of a startup without ever having played a down of NFL football? Why or why not? Um, good question, I think, obviously. Um, and it looks like the responses were fairly evenly divided. I'm on the side even though I sort of admit that I haven't really finished with doing all of my uh, Lawrence film yet. Um, you know, my early returns on him, like everybody else's, are pretty strong. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get too hung up. You know, I think for folks who remember, you know, my takes on Zeke Elliott back when he was coming into the league, sometimes when the situation lines up with the talent and everything's, I mean, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that Zeke Elliott was going to come in and play like an NFL back. Um, you know, similarly with Lawrence, um, again, I'm going to get my take on his talent locked down, but so far I like what I see quite a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, puts me pretty much with everybody else. Um, but you know, look, you look at a guy like Herbert, what, he's 22, he's going to be 23 next year. I think Burrow, he's going to be, what, 24, coming off a pretty pretty ugly-looking ACL, MCL, um, uh, knee injury, required uh, reconstruction. And, you know, I don't know, you know, what the doctors found when they got in there. They're not going to tell you, uh, you know, about some of the little stuff. You know, I've, I've rehabbed an ACL. Uh, my broadcast partners rehabbed an ACL. Uh, I've had a lot of teammates who's, who have rehabbed ACLs. And one thing I can tell you is they're just not all the same. Um, you know, some people go through rehab real nice and easy. Everything's perfect. Some people have setbacks and it takes longer. So, you know, um, I think if we use just sort of the analytics of the injury as a as a marker, you know, there's a pretty good chance Burrow's not going to be ready uh, at the drop of next year. And there's certainly a chance that this is something that um, affects him um, for the long term. So, I mean, I'm still pretty excited about Joe Burrow. I certainly wouldn't be, uh, you know, you know, looking to give him away if I had him in Dynasty. Uh, but, you know, with Trevor Lawrence coming in age 21, and quite frankly, I you know, of all these three guys, I think Lawrence's college film is the best. So I'm not going to get too hung up on the fact that Burrow and Herbert have some limited game experience at the NFL level and that Lawrence, you know, hasn't had that rookie year yet. Um, you know, fast forward one year, this guy, if he plays as expected, is going to be 22 years old. Uh, he's going to be the cornerstone of a team. Um, it's, it's what you look for, right? So, um, I, you know, for me, I would not hesitate uh, to take Lawrence towards the end of the round. Um, you know, for me, like I say in my answer, you know, I've got him pretty much right there with a guy like Herbert. And, you know, if you, if you offered me in a Dynasty Superflex right now, Lawrence or Joe Burrow, I'm taking Lawrence. I'm taking the guy who doesn't have a major injury and who's three years younger. I mean, yes, we've seen Herbert play at the NFL level. We know he can do it. There's some risk there. I'm willing to take that risk. Um, you know, am I going to change my tune on this a month from now? Maybe, but I would have to find a flaw in this guy's game that no one else has found. And, I, you know, I'm not going to bet on that happening. Um, as far as uh, some of my other answers on this, let's 
scan down, see if any of these are uh, compelling. A common mistake you routinely see dynasty owners making when it comes to rebuilding. Now, I'm sort of projecting here because I've I've only done one rebuild. It was on the team that I took over in the Seinfeld League, and then right when I got it back to where I wanted it to be, the league folded. So I'm not a, you know, Ryan McDowell has an answer here. And, you know, look, Ryan knows a whole lot more uh, about rebuilding a dynasty team. Ryan is one of these guys who goes around and finds bad teams to rebuild as a challenge. You know, it's what he does. Um, for me, I've managed to keep my teams out of that rebuilding. And, you know, the only reason I overtook that one orphan team is because I wanted to be in the Seinfeld League. You know, I'm not I don't rebuild for the fun of it <laughs> like my whole thing is let's see how long I can avoid having to rebuild at all um, but having having said that um, and going back to the one rebuild that I have done and, and, and seeing other people doing it and see people making mistakes I, I do think people t- can become too focused on youth and again I'm a guy who I'm a big fan of trying to build with youth but if you close your mind, and this is just from conversations I've had in all my leagues over the years when people are rebuilding and I'm like, hey, I know you're in a rebuild, you know, hey, are you willing to talk about player X, player, you know, player Y, and then when I start coming in with offers, you'll hear no old players, even if the, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put an offer, you know, maybe it's a three for three, and two of the players I'm offering are good young players, or maybe it's a player and a pick, but, you know, to balance the deal out, you know, okay, here's a player who's not so young. And you'll be like, no, 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 I don't want anybody who's old. And I mean, I get the inclination to say that's not the player I want. But if it's the player that makes the deal fit for both of us, and you're getting things you do want, and the value in the trade is right, well, look, you've got to, you can take that older player and turn him around in another deal and, and get, you know, trade him for picks or, or whatever the case may be. You may, there might be another team that's got the array of picks that fit value wise that I couldn't give you. It's just, you know, it's just a little more legwork to get to where you want to be. I think when you're in a rebuild, you have to have that mental, you know, that mentality that, yeah, I'm willing to go, you know, to do the legwork to make this work. Um, that, that's all I'm really saying with my answer. Um, Okay, um, who is one player you're trying to acquire everywhere in Dynasty League right now, right now before their value shoots up? My answer was Shark and LaVisca Chenault, sort of just going back to the thing where I do have faith in Trevor Lawrence, and these are guys who, you know, I like the way they've looked with, you know, mediocre quarterbacks, or, you know, a, a good, you know, a guy like Minshew who I think is a good quarterback, but who can't make all the throws. You know, when you start putting guys like Shark and Chenault on the field with a guy like Lawrence, who opens up the offensive coordinator's whiteboard and makes, like, everything possible, um, and when, you know, for all we know, Lawrence is going to come out running as a rookie, he may get spies, he may get all kinds of stuff, and just changes the dynamic for these players and all of a sudden the after the catch ability of a guy like Chanel and also to a lesser degree Shark all of a sudden becomes a big deal you know so these are these are guys I would like to get a handle on now or excuse me get some I already have some Chanel actually I don't have any Shark but I would like to add some shares of these guys before this reality becomes so stark uh, this reality that I project so I like them um, as buys Um, and let me see what else did I respond to here um yeah, actually, this was a good, and, and this is something I've talked to you guys about a lot. But you know, best ball dynasty leagues are now becoming uh, a thing, um, and I have a pretty clear strategy when it comes to best ball. Uh, the, but let's deal with the question first. What are the advantages of the format, and how would you um, recommend approaching um, best ball dynasty startups? Okay, this is something I've done. Um, in fact, the, the only league I've ever left was a best ball dynasty, and it's just because the rules started getting away from where I wanted them to be. 
Uh, it was a really fun league. It was run by my, my friend, uh, uh, my, my friend Hap, Alan Hapworth. Um, and it really, it's a good league. Um, but it's got a charity component to it. And like, I would rather just sort of be in redraft charity leagues where I know, like, I, I like being in a charity league, but when I play Dynasty, like, the winnings is a big deal for me. Like, my family looks forward to January because we're usually liquid because it's when my redraft and Dynasty money comes in. So, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the charity league where my winnings goes to charity. Um, anyway, that's, sorry, a long-winded, not important uh, tangent. Um, but, you know, I'll just read my answer first. I've played in this format for a few seasons, like it a lot. Primary advantage of Dynasty Best Ball is that you can add like as many leagues as you want without increasing your in-season team management workload. Um, and uh, that's really the key. And that's the key for Best Ball versus Redraft and Best Ball Dynasty versus Regular Dynasty is the fact that we love drafting, we love having shares, we love having teams. You can do all that in Best Ball Dynasty without changing your life on Tuesday and Wednesday during the regular season. I love adding dynasty teams. I hate adding to my in-season workload. Be you know, I've, I've had 10 dynasty teams and, you know, 10 redraft teams at the same time. It's a lot to deal with when you have to write a, you know, for people like me, you have to write a wave wire and all this other stuff. So while I want more rookie drafts, I don't want the in-season the in management to rise with the number of rookie drafts. So... You know, when you're when you're looking at these leagues, let me get back to my answer here. Um, uh, as I say, um, you know, some leagues are set it and forget it. Others incorporate trading and free agent periods. I'm a bigger fan of the prior. Um, and my approach, I'm again, I'm just going to finish my answer here. My approach in a best ball startup would be similar to how I play best ball redraft. I would fade receivers as long as it's reasonable depending on the league settings. I think late receiver approach while also being heavy receiver number of receivers on my roster is the best way to optimize roster construction to fit best ball scoring. Wide receivers who normally are, you know, would be like a roster clogger in a set your lineup format can be a material asset in a best ball league. Now we've talked about that on this podcast before. Um, you know, and look, there's, I, I love the fact there's a lot of different ways to play fantasy football, but for me, in best ball, it's just, it's so easy to let the format work for you, you know? It relieves one of the biggest problems in fantasy football. Which damn receiver do I start this week, right? I mean, it, it's so easy to create a fantasy roster with great receiving depth. But it, but it never helps you as much as you want it to, right? Because these guys are constantly going off on your bench and, you know, you know, second receivers on NFL teams and third receivers on NFL teams are less predictable, right? But in a best ball format, I can collect a lot of these guys and they decide when they're going to be in my lineup by when they go off. Just boom, guy scores a touchdown. Hey, he's in my lineup. So I, you can let attrition and the numbers game take care of your receivers for you, which allows you to focus your early draft picks on positions that are a little more scarce. So, you know, to me... Going like I will have more receivers on my team than most best ball teams for the most part. You'll see, you know, I'll have eight, nine, ten receivers or something like that. But the thing about it is, there'll be receivers of middling quality, or at least 
you know, in most people's eyes. And, you know, and this is another thing where my, my process works for me because there's almost always guys that I have projected to be like, you know, in between like say receiver 20 and 30 on a given year who are being drafted as like receiver 50 or something like that. So again, this is where my process sometimes works for me because my, my rankings can be a little bit outside the box. It, this strategy just works for me that much more. Um, so again, that's the way I would handle um, a dynasty best ball. I would handle it the same way I handle normal best ball, which is I want to be super strong at the running back position. I want to be very strong at tight end if I can swing it. Now sometimes, you know, you just don't get a shot at a guy like Kelsey, but I'm not going to pass it up in the second round, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, after Kelsey, I'll go after Kittle. Um, you know, if I see elite tight ends, I will go after them inside that early area where I'm not going to touch you know, I, I will draft tight ends in best ball before I draft receivers and quarterbacks too. Um, again, I just feel that the format allows me to do it and it works for me. Anyway, I said this would be about 40 minutes and hey, look, we're right about 40 minutes. So hey, thanks for stopping by uh, for a little impromptu off-season Rotobond podcast. It's off-season pod number one. Uh, I'm going to just throw one of these out there, hopefully every week or so. Um, and soon we're going to start having um, rookie pods. So uh, really can't wait to get going on those. We're going to have some guests. We're going to have some fun. Um, and once I'm starting to get feel a little bit stronger, and once I feel like the COVID is is not as intense in New York, um, we'll start doing some, some consistent whiskey pods. We'll definitely have some before that. But uh, I plan on doing those hopefully, hopefully once a week. Not that I only whiskey once a week. I only whiskey podcast once a week. Anyway, um, onward, upward. Uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for coming and listening, as always. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Using my tiny brain in my tiny room. Tiny brain, my tiny